0: This is a Squeeze podcast. We're your shortcut to being informed. This week, our podcast is brought to you by BHP. Reducing greenhouse gas emissions in the production of iron ore and copper is critical. That's why BHP has committed to solar, wind and battery agreements at mine sites across Australia. It's happening now at BHP. Visit bhp.com slash critical to find out more. This week marks one year since the Taliban took control of Afghanistan after the US and Allied forces left the country. Now its economy is in a state of collapse. The United Nations estimates almost all Afghans are living below the poverty line and women and girls are suffering human rights abuses. In this episode of Squeeze Shortcuts, we take a look at how Afghanistan got to where it is now, what's happened in the last year under Taliban rule and what might be next for the troubled nation. Squish Shortcuts is the backstory to the big news stories. I'm Kate Watson. And I'm Claire Kimball. Afghanistan is a long way from Australia. It's a mountainous, landlocked country that borders the likes of Iran and Pakistan. Claire, it's not an unfamiliar country, though. It's a country we hear a lot about, particularly across the last couple of decades.
1: Yeah, and that's mainly because of what happened on the 11th of September in 2001. Uh, As we know, four hijacked planes were flown into the World Trade Center, uh, the Pentagon and a field in Pennsylvania that killed some 3,000 people. Um, Although the key figures involved in the terror attacks weren't Afghans, uh, for example, al-Qaeda leader uh, Osama bin Laden was Saudi born, and so were many of those hijackers, Um, Afghanistan was accused of harbouring them Uh, and because of this the country became enemy number
0: one in the so-called war on terror. And as part of that war on terror, America invaded Afghanistan? What the US wanted, Claire, was to find bin Laden, but also stop al-Qaeda from using Afghanistan as a base for operations for terrorist activities. Yeah, and it's fair to say in those early months of that war, the United
1: States and coalition countries like Australia uh, thought it was all going to plan. The Taliban was actually overthrown by the end of 2001. It just took a few weeks mm. uh, and replaced it with a more moderate government. And at one stage, there was a coalition of more than 130,000 troops from 51 different countries, they were all trying to ensure that Afghanistan would never become a safe haven for
0: terrorists again. That's a lot of history condensed into one sentence, but the point ultimately is that the hope at the time was that the country would never return to Taliban rule. 20 years on though, here we are. And to quickly recap on the Taliban,
1: they're a militant fundamentalist Islamic group who first ruled over Afghanistan from 1996 to 2001. During that time, they imposed a strict interpretation of Sharia or Islamic law, uh, and they were widely condemned for massacres of Afghan civilians uh, and banning
0: girls and women from school and employment. To be clear, the US didn't necessarily want to have a presence in Afghanistan forever. But the thinking was that when they did leave, it wouldn't immediately mean the Taliban would take power again. The US made that decision that it was getting out of Afghanistan, clear while President Obama was in power in 2009.
1: Yeah, that's right. But it wasn't until early 2020 under Donald Trump that a kind of peace deal was signed between the United States and the Taliban, and that peace deal had all sorts of holes in it and terms and conditions which weren't met. Uh, For example, the United States originally said that it wouldn't withdraw its remaining 12,000 troops unless the Taliban cut ties with al-Qaeda and other terrorist groups. Uh, The Taliban was also meant to negotiate with the legitimate Afghan government, the national government that was put in uh, for a lasting
0: ceasefire and a power sharing arrangement, but that never happened. It's important to note also that even though the Taliban weren't in power while America was there, they were leading an insurgency the whole time and they were a big reason the West could never really win that war. Last year, with the US on the way out, the Afghan army basically surrendered and the Taliban seized power just two weeks before the US and its allies were due to leave. Yeah,
1: and you might remember that President Joe Biden had promised an orderly withdrawal, but what happened was the opposite of that. And it's hard to forget those really traumatic images of people trying to scale the fence of Kabul airport, uh, desperate Afghans running alongside planes on the tarmac, uh, clinging to the wings and the undercarriages trying to get on one of those last US military flights out.
0: Absolutely one of those news events that sticks with you forever. In August 2021, the Taliban was back in charge and there were fears about what that would mean for the nation. Let's take a look at how that's played out now. The Taliban made a lot of promises about how they govern before they seized power. Before we take a look at how that's actually played out, let's get familiar with who's in charge. Yeah, that's Haibatullah Hakunzada. Uh, he's rarely
1: seen in public, but he has the ultimate authority over the group's political, religious and military affairs. As for the government, it's still calling itself interim because it's not recognised by any country in the world. They're replicating the bureaucratic machinery of the old Islamic Republic, uh, but the full set of laws governing Afghanistan are not really
0: clear or consistent. There is a cabinet with ministers making decisions in the capital, Kabul. It's important to note, though, the final say on any laws belong to the leadership's shura or council. It's based in the southern city of
1: Kandahar. And that's presided over by the Supreme Leader. Uh, He's known as the Commander of the Faithful. Uh, Nobody has much access to what happens inside that council, but it's fair to say that its members are far more conservative uh, and likely to favour a stricter interpretation of Sharia law uh, than those in the Cabinet.
0: So that's a bit on the structure. How that affects the people of Afghanistan is something else. Life has been difficult for the Afghan people for decades, but as predicted, it seems to have got a whole lot worse since the US left.
1: Yeah, and now there's a full-blown hunger and health crisis. The World Food Programme estimates half of the population, so about 20 million people, are effectively starving. Uh, When the Taliban seized power, most families' income collapsed, uh, so they actually can't pay for food or medicine.
0: Adding to that, the banking sector has been cut off by the rest of the world and a lot of big donor funds that flowed in for health, for education, for humanitarian programs have simply dried up, Claire.
1: And that's because the big charities and non-government organisations can't be sure that the money and resources they would send uh, wouldn't be misdirected by the Taliban. Uh, And on top of everything else, an earthquake hit the country in June and that killed more than a thousand people, also destroyed
0: homes and roads, and it made it even harder for aid to get through. I recall there was discussions between the US and the Taliban about unfreezing some of the country's foreign reserves to pay for earthquake relief. How's that played out? Well, it seems that America
1: really hasn't been satisfied at the promises that have been made that the money will actually be spent on helping the local population. There's really not a lot of trust in that relationship still.
0: Yeah, it's been pretty grim and we haven't even touched on the most recent United Nations report card on the Taliban's human rights abuses. Yeah, the United Nations has
1: catalogued forced disappearances and summary executions of members of the former Afghan army and anyone who served in that old government. Uh, Journalists have also been arrested and other prisoners denied food and water as punishment.
0: Of course, always a lot of attention on the treatment of women and girls.
1: Yeah, as should be expected. Uh, The Taliban have banned women and girls from going to high school. They've sacked many from their jobs and issued a decree that women should only reveal their eyes outside the home, uh, preferably wearing burqas. And under the new regime, women have been told not to travel without their husbands uh, or a male relative.
0: Afghan women say all their rights have been stripped away. This really is a nightmare of a situation for them and makes a lie of all the Taliban's public pronouncements that it would protect women and girls. What can be done? Well, (laughs) uh, of
1: course, the international community has condemned all of it. But, of course, the world doesn't have many levers to pull in actually changing the situation. The United Nations top officials have met with Taliban leaders, but they aren't really offering any hope that anything will
0: change. With that assessment, let's get into what could be next for Afghanistan. Claire, we're working with BHP again on Weekly Wrap this week because they're keen to share with Squizzes how the resources they mine are key for our economy's shift to renewable energy. Yeah, so we often hear about the push
1: towards renewable energy, but what doesn't get as much attention is the role that mining companies are playing in making that transition possible. Take steel, for instance. It's a key material used in the construction of renewable energy infrastructure, as well as bridges and transportation, hospitals and schools, and a big part of it comes from iron ore.
0: That iron ore mainly hails from Western Australia, and BHP says the importance of responsibly produced Western Australian iron iron ore is clear. Yeah, and by that,
1: they mean reducing the greenhouse gas emissions associated with iron ore production. That's why BHP has committed to a solar and battery agreement to help power their port facilities
0: at Port Hedland. It's happening now at BHP, and if you want to learn more, visit bhp.com forward slash critical. You'll find that link in your episode notes. Claire, I'm trying to work out if there's any room for optimism about where to next. There's not a lot of hope being expressed.
1: No, but the one thing you really can say about the Afghan people is that they are resilient. Uh, There are plenty of people willing to fight for their future, however bleak it might seem at the moment. Uh, And of course, there are also many who don't have the resources to flee and move on.
0: One big issue at the moment is the many hundreds of thousands that are still trying to leave the country.
1: Yeah, and the United States and its allies, including Australia, managed to get about 120,000 Afghans who had worked with coalition forces out of the country. That happened a year ago um, after the Taliban took control. But the United States estimates that more than doubled that number worked with them during the past 20 years. And once the border shut, those people became big targets for the Taliban, despite assurances that there would be no reprisals.
0: Yeah, looking at a Australia specifically, there are people that our country holds grave concerns for.
1: Yeah, interpreters who worked with the Australian Army, for example. uh, There are cases where they have been directly targeted and their families have been calling uh, for more help from our government to get out of the country. Uh, All up 200,000 Afghans uh, have sought protection from Australia, but so far only about 6,000 have been granted humanitarian visas. Uh, Our Immigration Minister, Andrew Giles, says that he's throwing big resources to try and clear the backlog of applications.
0: Kabul airport, Claire, was the scene of so many heartbreaking images last year, but there are now big signs outside of it saying the Islamic Emirate of Afghanistan seeks peaceful and positive relations with the world. That's what the sign says. It doesn't seem to be ringing true.
1: No, and one of the big non negotiables for most countries uh, before they look to restore diplomatic relationships with the Taliban and Afghanistan is a commitment that they won't harbour terrorists. Of course, that came up in the news quite recently, and that's because the leader of Al Qaeda, the man who took over from Osama bin Laden, was assassinated by the United States. Uh, his name was Al Zwahiri. Uh, he was a key plotter in the September 11 attacks. The United States had been tracking him. Uh, They found him and they launched a drone strike and that took him out on the balcony in the heart of Kabul.
0: Yeah, that happened on the 31st of July. US President Joe Biden claimed it as a win. He said, and this is the quote, that we make it clear again tonight that no matter how long it takes, no matter where you hide, if you are a threat to our people, the United States will find you and take you out. The Taliban Claire responded. Yeah, and what they said was that they condemned the
1: attack and said that it was going to damage opportunities for the two countries to restore relationships. Uh, What the Taliban says is that they are sticking to that peace agreement that was done uh, and that they're not allowing terrorists uh, to
0: reside in Afghanistan to launch attacks on other countries. Despite this, experts have said that's not the case, and that terrorist groups like al-Qaeda and the Pakistani Taliban have found refuge in the country since the takeover. And most international
1: observers say uh, that it's all pointing to the fact that not much has actually changed since the Taliban was last in power, and that's really hardening attitudes against the country Mm. and especially the willingness to contribute foreign aid, uh, and it's just adding to a worsening economic crisis there making the future pretty bleak for women and girls particularly. Yeah, and there's no sugarcoating that. Um, The former Deputy Speaker of the Afghan Parliament told the United Nations that girls were taking their own lives, some were being sold for marriage uh, as young as nine years old, and, of
0: course, many are just starving. And that's your shortcut to what's what in Afghanistan. On to our recommendations. (music) Each week we give you a recommendation for some further reading, listening or watching. There's a beautiful photo essay by Time magazine about the women of Afghanistan under the Taliban. Some really powerful images and stories. That's my recommendation, Claire, along with one from our suite of products. Squeeze Kids, for any parents out there, tackled the plight of women and girls in Afghanistan in Monday's episode in a really sensitive, informative and safe way. They talked about how girls are secretly attending school and how fortunate kids in Australia should be to have that basic right. So well done. Can't recommend it highly enough.
1: Yeah, it's such a good product, Squeeze Kids. Love it. Yeah. Uh, and from me, if you want to have a deeper look at who the United States now considers its top terror threats, uh, two decades on from 9-11, there's a really interesting podcast called Intelligence Matters. Uh, there's a really good episode on that. Um, they get all the really big spies that have retired and very... <laughs> and can talk. Very, <laughs> yeah, very, very spooky kind of people. National security, all that kind of stuff. It's really quite fascinating. As always,
0: links to all of those recommendations are in your episode notes. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Squeeze Shortcuts. Until next week.